today for now from YouTube jail. That's right. I've been in YouTube jail for a week and uh, I wasn't sure if I would be out in time for today's episode to have it on YouTube, but we are back. And as I always say, we are back for now. And uh, for some reason, we are not going to be on Twitch today. I don't know if I've upset them or if it's just a technical glitch. But I just got that, that we shall not be on Twitch. And I am making adjustments here so that we are able to see you guys who are on Rumble and your comments, though there's hardly anybody there because, well, we're back on YouTube, so I imagine that we'll seesaw the views. Anyway, uh, did I get a – the Humble Mechanic says, did I get a PP slot from YouTube? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Apparently, we're still playing the, the, uh, the pandemic game here at YouTube. Uh, most other people have stopped playing that game. Anyway, what are we going to talk about today? If you've noticed the title of today's episode, What Would a Redneck Duck Farmer Do as President? And really the title should be, What, sh- what Would a Redneck Hippie Duck Farmer, meaning me, do as President? Um, but that was just too long of a title. Titles get too long and they don't work well for podcast feeds and blog feeds and marketing and videos and stuff. So I took hippie out. It was the one word I could afford to let go of, but I'll go ahead and say it here. And I want to be clear right out of the gate today. I am not running for president. I do not expect that any of the solutions that I give you will be enacted today. In fact, that is the actual point of today's episode. The point I want to make today is that we have all of these politicians and bureaucrats and talking heads running around all claiming that they want to fix things. They want to make the lives of the average person better, more democracy, on and on and on. And my point is, no, they don't. They have no interest whatsoever in solving a single problem that you have or the average person has in this country. They have no incentive to do so. Every time, if they were ever to actually solve a problem, it makes their existence less necessary, and people and entities seek survival. That's why we call the show The Survival Podcast, because to seek survival is the most innate thing for any living being to do. A microbe flees another microbe that is a predator because it seeks to survive. A squirrel buries a nut or hides it in a tree because it knows winter is coming in its little tiny squirrel brain, and it seeks to survive. Government, the state itself, is an entity which seeks to survive. It's made up of many other entities, but as a total entity, it seeks survival. And the solving of problems can only result in one thing for government, less power, less control, and it must shrink. If the average person looked and said, hey, look, we don't have any problem at all in this little piece of the pie chart right now, well, maybe we should stop paying for government to fix it because it's not a problem. Now, of course, there would be people who say, but if you take that away, it will become one. Yeah, bullshit, as you'll hear today. But just to be clear out of the gate, I'm not saying that any of this is going to happen. I'm not saying that if you write enough letters to your congressman, this any of this stuff will happen. And the other thing is I'm going to be speaking from a macro level today. I'm going to take on 12 of the biggest problems that we have in the minds of the average person today. Um, there's one I'm going to leave out. I'm going to leave it out 
because I'm probably going to do an episode on it all by itself because it's that big of an issue and has that much complexity in its monetary policy. Uh, right down to how we create money. So I am going to do this today as though we're not going to fix that part right away. I'm going to work within the bounds of what is possible under our system of government, under our Constitution, if I were President of the United States. Now, I'm not even saying it's doable because, trust me, every single oligarch, every single bureaucrat would be in opposition to this. None of these people would want this because it is the way that they exist as a parasite upon humanity. Okay? So I'm not saying I would be able to do it. I'm saying it's doable if your government, if even half your government actually wanted to fix these problems, this would set us in the right direction. So we'll dig into that in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Above Phone. Look. We're going to talk about problems today that there are solutions to, but there are big impediments to those solutions. Primarily bureaucrats, politicians, oligarchs, plurocrats, and the banking class, and the entire parasitic class. But you know what? You have a problem if you're using an iPhone or a a typical Android phone uh, using Google Play and whatever – that you actually can solve. And that is you are being spied on. Your data is being collected. Everything you do is being used to build a digital dossier. Uh, your data is being harvested and sold. And you're subject to having information that you want to consume censored. Now, we could say, I could have put that in today's episode. But what I try to do is put things in today's episode that were not things that could be solved by individuals completely and totally for themselves. But they're actually is some impediment imposed by government to prevent. This isn't one of them. All you have to do is switch from your iPhone or your your standard out-of-the-box product to an above phone, learn how to use it, and even if there's certain things you want to do with it that you have to use the old system for, the, the conventional system for, you can literally sandbox some of your apps into its own little hole and only use them when you need them. So there's no reason not to do this other than it does cost some money, but hey, Above Phone is such a strong supporter of TSP and the work that we do. If you're an MSB member, you get $75 off any of the phones available at AbovePhone.com. If you really want to solve your own problems, start today. And here's another company that will help you do that. Start nine embassy servers. If you are using the cloud, all you're doing is using somebody else's computer. They control your data. They contain your data. They can cut you off from your data. And by the way, they're also tracking every single thing that you do. You know, one of the things I've told people is if you insist on using Facebook, you need to get an extension for your browser called Facebook Container. And then the next thing I say is, and you should go find out what it does and then ask yourself why you need it. Well, I can't fix Facebook for you, but I can fix the ability to do things like have completely, totally private, uh, non-spied upon, end-to-end encrypted messaging with anybody you want. And the only way they even know that it's available is for you to invite them in and let them in. That would be just one thing. You can run your own Bitcoin node, your own Lightning node. You can store your files and access them from anywhere in the world. You can have the privacy of Tor. You can run a relay for uh, Noster, and you can do so much more. And it's so easy. If you can install an app, and use an app on a phone, then you can use Start9 Embassy servers. They're also a huge supporter of the MSB with a 9% discount for members. Again, unlike many of the problems that we're about to talk about, this isn't just a problem that you can somewhat mitigate. This is a problem you can absolutely solve for yourself. And I'm a big believer 
that what we should be doing, that what we should be doing before we bitch about the type of things we're just about to talk about is at least fix all the things that we can fix for ourselves. All right, so let's get into this. I want to start off with we uh, we really need to come out of the gate with an understanding when we have conversations like this. We have to stop whataboutism, but you know this. What about how do you fix this? How do you fix this, etc. I call it the, the perfect trap. Now everybody's familiar with the the concept of do not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Until you go into political situations and you say, look, here's this really big problem. We could do this and it'd be a lot less of a problem. And somebody says, but what about this or what about that? Okay, I don't care. If we did these things, would the problem at the macro level, at the big level, for the average person who's the one that we're supposed to be serving in this system, would it be less? Well, it would be, but shut up. I will not even entertain people who are pointing out flaws for the purpose of devaluing the entire idea because it's bullshit and it's done all the time. You know, I'll say, but, but we could have a whole bunch of people end up in jail. We have more people in jail per capita than any other country in the world right now. If it ended up with less people in jail who really don't belong there, we're still better off. Right. Or we could have people eat food that's not good for them. Okay, well, we have more type 2 diabetes per capita in our country right now than any other time in history, and it's because people are eating food that's not good for them. So if we can move the needle in the right direction, and, and significantly in the right direction, then to me, forgetting us going in the right direction, that's enough. And again, since I'm not actually running for president here, since I'm not actually saying I want to implement these policies, since I'm not making false, lying policy promises, which every single politician who's ever run for any office down to dog catcher does. They are all liars. Since I am not one of those people and I am not promising you anything, all I'm trying to do today is point out to you that if these pricks actually wanted your life to be better this much, this much, and I have my fingers about a half inch apart for those that are on the audio only, if they wanted this much of your life to be better, there are actions that they could take right now to do it, and they're not going to because they despise you and because they are parasites. And as I lead off today, I think we need to be honest about what we're dealing with. And until we're honest about what we're dealing with, until we start using the right words and we start stop trying to sound like a former politician that we didn't hate so much, a Reagan or an Eisenhower or whatever, Jeff, I don't care who, all the way back to the founders. We need to stop trying to sound like the politicians of the past in dealing with the politicians of the present and the bureaucrats of the present. Do you know that in World War II, in fact, all the way to 1960, we had a few dozen at most four-star generals in the United States Army and the Marine Corps? A few dozen. Today, it numbers in the hundreds. It's just an example. The world is not the same as it was. We have built this, that's just the military. We've built this incredibly top-heavy bureaucracy for the sake of bureaucracy. And if we keep trying to go back, this mindset that, well, if we could go back to here, and so we talk like we're here, we'll never go back to there or improve today. If you're going to describe the government today, it is a parasitic class of ticks and leeches living off the backs of the American people. 
if I was interviewing a congressman right now, with very few exceptions, whenever they said they're bullshit, I would say, you are a parasitic tick living off the back of the American people. Sir, either admit that or be gone. I have no use for any of you people anymore. That's why I don't bother people like, this guy's running for Congress and he's different. You should have. I don't want to interview parasites. I don't want to talk to ticks. I don't want to talk to leeches. And then the even bigger parasites, the, the true bloated parasites, the military industrial complex, all of these giant corporations that fund the campaigns of these other ticks, they are even greater scum. They don't care about you. And if we don't start saying it, then we're going to keep getting more of it. These people need to be called out for what they are. Vehement, parasitic scum. In fact, it's an insult to scum to equate bureaucrats, oligarchs, and politicians with scum. Scum is better than them. Scum is more useful than them. And until we start saying this, we will not change. Because everything I'm about to give you requires us to begin action before we get permission and calls on us to constantly call out their bullshit. But you notice I didn't say, hold them accountable or hold their feet to the fire. If you use those words with me, I am done with you. I no longer respect you intellectually, at least on politics. We're going to hold them accountable. How? We're going to hold their feet to the fire. What fire? These people have done whatever they've wanted for decades with no accountability whatsoever. None. They have committed crimes with no accountability whatsoever, blatant, in-your-face felonies, and they don't ever pay for anything they did, and they're not going to, and it is time for you to grow up and stop believing in fantasy land and fairy tales and the tooth fairy leaving a fucking silver quarter under your pillow because that would be 1964, and that is fucking gone. You get it yet. These people are parasites. And nothing I tell you will do any good for you today until you accept the fact you are dealing with a parasitic class of people who view you as the enemy, who hate you, who loathe you, who think you are too fucking stupid to make your own decisions in your life. I happen to think more of you. And that's why I believe what I'll give you today can work. I am also not doing this today as an anarchist. I am forcing myself in a thought experiment. My solution is to get rid of all the parasites, excise all the cancer, burn off all the ticks and flush them down the frickin' toilet and get rid of them. There would be none of this if it was my choice. I am putting myself in the position, but what if? What if you had the highest office in the land? What would you do within the legal and constitutional framework that you would be sent into? So if anybody wants to, like, challenge my card as a real anarchist, libertarian, or whatever today, go screw. I am doing a mental experiment here, okay? I don't have time for, but you're supposed to be an anarchist. I am. I am. I'm also a pragmatist and a realist, and I'm in a fantasy world right now where I've just taken the oath of office on the first day of the presidency of President Jack Spierko Jr. That's right. I am a junior for those that didn't know. And what would you do? Because I can't, like, sign an executive order that dissolves the federal government as a whole. I wouldn't have that power. I have to work within the framework. All of this is in the framework. And this can mostly be summed up. Most of what I'm going to talk about today, one way or another, is the restoration of Republican governance. Now, it's very important to understand something like that. I just said all politicians were scum. I did not say all the DNC politicians were scum. I included Republicans when I said they were a scumbag parasitic class. We have ruined the word Republican 
by making it the name of a party. That goes all the way back to Lincoln. Okay, I can't change that. But I will not accept that Republican Party equals Republican governance because it doesn't. When I say Republican governance, I'm talking about a true republic of 50 states where the states have the majority of the sovereignty within the republic. So most of this is going to bounce on that. So let's look at some decisive problems that we have. And I'm going to, again, I'm going to say some things, especially in this first one. You're going to be like, you're not a real anarchist. Yeah, I'm, I am, but I can't be here. I have to work within the framework. So let's start off with probably one of the most divisive issues today. And that's why I put it first. Because if I can solve this in a way where you're on either side of the debate right now and you're like, bullshit, the other side sucks, then you're going to have to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This redneck duck farming hippie who barely got out of high school, not because he's dumb, but because he was bored as shit and didn't care, spent a few years in the Army and then worked his, up, his way up through sales and marketing and now is a podcaster, can come up with a solution that both sides look at and go, hey, everything's not perfect, but yeah, okay, I, that makes sense. Student loans. Student loans. So the comp, I'm going to start off defending the kids and the young adults with all this debt instead of attacking them like you have been trained to do if you're on the opposing side of the issue. Because I want to fix this for both sides, okay? So let's start off with the size that gets victimized. Okay, this whole idea, well, they just, they just they paid their debt. They just, they agreed to it. They were adults when they signed a contract. No, they were 18-year-old fucking kids. They might have been adults legally, but 18-year-olds in our society today, because we have dumbed the shit down, do not behave like, act like, conduct themselves like, or in any way can be generally called adults. They're not capable. If you can't just go out and function without your mommy and daddy, without somebody paying the bills for you, if you can't go out and function, earn a living, pay your bills, and function, you are not an adult. Okay? We had, some of our founders were in their teens when they were commanding fucking divisions, those were adults. These are not adults. They have been freaking, um, they have been infantilized by society itself. They were told from the time they were in kindergarten, career days, etc., all the way up by mommy, daddy, the TV, the government, everybody. You have to go to college, Billy. You have to go to college, Tammy. Just sign this paperwork. Don't worry about it. You'll pay it back and you'll make so much more money. It'll be worth it. And it was all a lie. And when you're 18 and everybody you trusted tells you, tells you to do something, it's the right thing to do, follow the rules, it's good for you, you will, son of a bitch, believe it. So let's not pretend it's all a problem of their spoiled-ass little making. Let's not pretend we and Gen X, that we in the boomer generation, that we didn't lead them into this shit like lambs into debt prison, okay? Let's not pretend we didn't do that, okay? But I have a solution that doesn't involve you paying for it. It involves them paying their bills. Again, we're stuck with fiat for a while at least. We have the ability to print money. Now, if you think I'm going to say just print the money and pay off their debt, no, 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 no. No. What I'm going to say is very simple. First of all, we need to set a hard limit on how much a person can borrow per annuum. It's a hard limit for all professions. And then we need to say whatever your degree is, there's, there's a value to that degree. And since we don't want you to get in debt that you can't freaking pay, we just say certain degrees have a lower annual amount that you can borrow to pursue. Okay, so we have a limit on how much you can borrow. The next thing is 
Student loans will be used for tuition and books and done. I dated a girl so long ago. It was before Dorothy, obviously, since I dated a girl named Kathy. She was buying her groceries with money from student loans. This is 30 years ago. I can only imagine the problem is worse today. To borrow money in the federal student loan program under my administration, if I were president, you would have to have a bill from the school that would be paid by the loan itself. You don't get any money handed to your little little fat hands to buy other shit with. Not housing. You want to stay in the dorm? Pay for it. You want to stay in a house or apartment? Pay for it. You don't borrow money to provide yourself housing. Books, tuition only. Anybody that, like, doesn't think we should do student loan forgiveness is totally opposed to this, kind of going, wait, this is starting to sound a little bit better. Federal government issues the loans, not the banks, not the banks. Loans are at zero interest. Zero interest. Every employer today in the country, when you go to work, does deductions for things like Social Security and income tax. We add that. Attached to your Social Security number, when you take that loan, it says you owe money. Any job you work, including while you're in school, right from the very beginning, there is a formula that has a a payroll deduction that starts servicing your loan. It's very tiny for part-time work while you're going to school, but it's something, okay? And once you graduate or stop going to school, it goes up to about 5% of whatever your income is. And if you get a degree in digital feminist activism, which is actually a thing, and you can't get a good job, and you work at freaking Joe's Donuts or Starbucks with a nose ring in your face or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's the same number. And until your debt is paid off, there's an automatic payroll deduction, and the percentage of payback relative to your income goes up across time. And maybe for the first couple of years, it's 5%. And then after that, it goes to every year, it goes up 6, 7, 1% a year until it hits 10%. And it keeps going until you pay your loan off. And you know this when you sign on the loan. I don't care what you do. There'll be never a time where anybody is truly delinquent in their loan payments. No one will ever pay on their loans for 20 years and know more than they started off with. And we're printing all this bullshit money and sending it all around the world anyway. Let's invest it in our youth. Listen, but there has to be a formula that determines what is the value of the degree, and you can't out-borrow the value of the degree. If private institutions want to issue debt, they can do it. No support from the federal government whatsoever. None. I I don't have time to get into it today, but I will also tell you this. I would turn my sights directly on these multi-billion dollar endowments all these freaking colleges have with tax-free income status and say, you guys need, you guys are the ones that did this. You need to start offsetting the pain here. Offsetting the pain. There's a lot of other things I would do. I'm going to skip onto that one. But the loans are done, right? And you, if you want to go to trade school, fine. You want to take any viable career path that requires education, you can participate in this program. Not just the ones that are accredited by the scumbags that stole the wealth of two generations now. Not just the ones they say are okay, the ones that they're parasiting. No, remember, the parasite is the enemy. The 24-year-old idiot who thinks they're educated with a degree in bullshit is not your enemy. The parasite that created a system where that could happen, they are the enemy. Kill the roach. Stomp on the roach. Stop blaming the person complaining that the roach is in their house too, because that's what we're doing. 
Class warfare is what this is all about. It's what this is all about. How about K-12 education? The first thing you need to understand is as bad as these people with purple hair talking to six-year-olds about gender transition are, there's an extremely small number of them. And what has empowered them is not the other teachers. Remember what I said in the beginning. The enemy is the parasite class. Who are the parasites in education? The parasites in education are administrators. The parasites in, in education are the, the, the people that are making a fortune off the educational system. It is a trillion-dollar industry. Okay, The people behind everything from the books to the toilet paper in the schools are part of the lobbies to keep us in power and the educational unions. That is who the parasites are. We need to focus on who the parasites are. Okay, That's the parasites. Again, step on the roach. Not the person that's complaining the roach is in their house too. So to me, the number one way you fix education is you give parents a choice. Now, this is difficult because remember what I said. I'm working within the framework and the groundwork that is the United States government and the Constitution, and I'm operating from a federal level. And there's a lot of things I don't get to tell state governments what to do about. And I want to actually give them more power. But from a federal level, I would, number one, I would dissolve the Department of Education. I would stop taking money from all over the country and Robin, Hood, Robin Hooding it back out along with mandates. I would get rid of the entire federal Department of Education. And people will say, it's a rounding error. In the, it's not that much money. It's $50 billion a year that is redundant and unnecessary. And you sound like a person saying, well, if you actually close all the windows in the house when the air conditioner's on, it won't really cut the bill that much. Okay, it'll cut it a lot. And we should start by, before we put a solar panel on the roof, let's close the fucking window and preserve the cooling or the heating in the house. Let's upgrade the installation in the roof. Okay? So I would get rid of the Department of Education. It is gone. Every single person that works for it has a pink slip. It is out the door. It does not exist. Goodbye, go out. And you tell the states, you now run your own educational programs, which you have plenty of money for because you steal it from people in the form of property taxes all the time anyway. And so get on with it. But then I would incentivize something. See, the one thing you can do from the office of the president is to have a bully pulpit to tell people what's really going on. And I would advocate for states creating school choice models that allow a parent to take whatever is spent on their child right now and use it to pay for their child's education in any reasonable way possible. Don't care. Because the only way we will fix this problem is for schools to lose students when they do their job in a shitty manner. And if Karen wants her kid in a class with a purple-haired kindergarten teacher, as much as I hate it, and they're going to talk to him about cutting his weenie off, that parent has certain rights. I just don't think there's that many of those people either. They hold up these people, these parents say, my kid is trans, he's five. Like there's millions of them, there's not. This is one-tenth of one-hundred of the population. Stop giving them more power than they have. If you give parents the ability to say, you know what, I'm not going to your school board meeting. I'm just going to take my kid out of this school, and I'm going to put him into another school where that shit doesn't happen. The shit will stop. 
and you'll get a higher quality education and schools will actually be able to tailor education to the student without the federal government telling them what they're supposed to be doing. Every state can exercise, again, that Republican form of government. And if you get pissed off enough at Georgia, you'll move to Florida. If you get pissed off enough at Florida, maybe you move to Texas. If you get pissed off at New Jersey, maybe you move to Nebraska. I don't know. Wouldn't it be great if you had a decision you could make that actually created a difference? And you'd say to me, well, Jack, right now a person can move from Florida to Nebraska or whatever or the other way around. Sure, but there's not much difference. You see, every time the federal government sticks its thumb on the scale, they reduce republicanism as a form of government in the republic itself. All these federal mandates, all these strings attached, all these federal funds, all of this interference by Department of Education – makes it to where it isn't as big a difference if you move from one place to another or one school district to another. Trust me, we have this wokeism bullshit being shoved down the throats of children in the most conservative districts of Texas right now. But we also have schools that won't do it. And if there was funding available for these kids, if the government's already spending $12,000 on a kid a year, then why can't that parent say, I want this school? Oh, their tuition's $8,000. We'll pay the bill. We'll pay the bill. See how simple that is? Now, what happens to the other $4,000? It goes back into the system until the system figures out how to either spend it more efficiently on something else or it rebates it back to the taxpayer. Because if you don't do it, your competing jurisdictions, states, counties, etc. are going to restore republicanism. Is it going to be perfect? No. Is it going to be better than what we have? Is anybody here listening to this that does not think that the overall system would be better than it is if we eliminated the parasitic classes within it? administrators, bureaucrats, politicians that are touching this and gave parents a choice as to which school their kids went to, including private institutions. So if it's better, it's good enough. Let's move on. Uh, the cost of medical care. Okay, the first thing we have to do is establish something. Medical insurance is not medical care any more than car insurance is a car. Let's say it again. Medical insurance is not medical care. Okay, any more than car insurance is, let's say, transportation. I have car insurance. Great. Use your car insurance to get your ass from point A to point B. Well, you can't. You can't. Car insurance is for you. Fuck the car up. You get in a wreck. There's an insurance policy on the car. Health insurance is your body goes into a wreck, a crisis of some kind, and there's a certain amount of insurance against that crisis. And what it should be for is significant crisis, not because you took your kid to the doctor because he had a runny nose and he didn't really need to go. But since you're on Medicaid, you can go there and get two bottles, a two dollar bottle of Tylenol prescribed. So it's free to you because that's what happens. That's what happens. That's what happens. That's what happens. So, again, who I want you in every one of these issues. Start thinking for yourself. Who? are the parasites in this system. Who are the parasites bilking the system for wealth at the expense of the average person? Well, administrators. Go look at a graph from 1950 to present day, the growth of physicians in the country and the growth of medical administrators. They run away. It's something like 4,500% growth in administrators, and it's something like 100% growth in physicians. So there's twice as many doctors 
and 4,500% more administrators. So we need to get, we need to do everything we can to eliminate as much of this bureaucracy as possible. Administrators are one of the parasites. Who else is a parasite? How about big pharma? Do you see big pharma as a parasite? Somebody's saying Bill Gates. Well, Bill Gates, I would just say, you're saying that because he's tied in with big pharma. So big pharma includes Bill Gates. See, let's make the macro group. Big pharma is a parasite. One of the main ways that big pharma drives revenues is what? This is where I'm going to sound very non-libertarian here. I'm working with the problem we have in the confines of the situation of the government. I would push, I would push for a law prohibiting drug companies to advertise their fucking products on television and radio. None. Zero. Well, you can't do it. They did it to the cigarette companies. They did it to to, the tobacco lobby. Why not the medical industry? What the hell good does it do a person that one of these drug companies is showing a video of people dancing in a field playing a remixed 80s jingle, and they say, there's a chance to live longer at the end, and then give you 87 freaking side effects that can kill you. It doesn't do them any good. Do you think they even really sell more drugs because of it? Is there anybody here, there's, I don't know, there's 70-ish people here on all the combined streams. Not that many, I'm surprised. I thought a show like this would get more. But that's enough people for assembling. Is there anybody here that you were sitting at home one day, and you watched a drug commercial, and you ran to your doctor and said, I want drug XYZ? Yeah? Anybody. I'm waiting to see if anybody says I did. Probably nobody. And if so, it's going to be like 1% of whatever audience we have at any given time. Maybe 1%. You as Pfizer, as Merck, as Purdue Pharma, whoever, you're not making money on that. That's not a good ROI directly. Marketing to the end user through a medical system that requires a prescription from a physician is not how they make money directly. The way they do that with marketing and make money directly is they hire a bunch of hot-looking chicks to run around and shake their ass and their tits in front of doctors to get them to prescribe more medication. They call them drug reps or pharmaceutical representatives or pharmaceutical device representatives. They always hire either hot chicks or dudes that look like they belong on the like the, the cover of Esquire or GQ or some shit. They all are hot. You know, maybe one exception, some guy's a supervisor nobody ever sees. So that's the direct marketing route. So if the advertising that they spend billions on doesn't directly make them an ROI, are they stupid or are they smart, conniving parasites? What does it do for them? Does anybody know what it does for them? You've heard of regulatory capture. That's where these organizations, like they're being regulated by the government entity. They have to fund the government entity and therefore they end up in control. Who gets the money? When all these drug companies advertise all their drugs with the remixed 80s jingles, who gets the money? Who do they pay? They don't pay you. They don't pay the government. They don't pay the FDA. They don't pay the CDC. They don't pay the doctors. Who are they paying? Who are they paying? They're paying the, 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 the media. They're paying the radio stations. They're paying the television stations. And we all know that there's not actually a lot of media companies. There's about seven companies that control 95% of what you see in here. 
So if I advertise to them, what do I get to do now? I get to control the narrative about medicine. Do you think that any of these companies want there to be less need for their product and service? Do you think the people that make cancer drugs want cancer cured? Does that make any sense? Do you think that, you know, let's say if you got a certain medical therapy through a needle and it actually made you immune for life the way it used to, that that's good business? Or is it better business if you have to come back every year and get a booster for that needle thing? What's better for you if you're a drug company? This is the parasitic class. This is the parasitic class. So number one, we attack that. Number two, if you are a doctor or a hospital, you set your own price for everything that you do. That's fine. And one thing Trump did was require them to provide pricing. Great. I'm all for that. But this is what you're going to do if I'm in control. And there's any way I can get it done. You're going to provide uniform pricing to everyone. You're not going to charge a patient $300 and turn around and charge Aetna or Concentric $35 for the same thing. You're not going to do that. You publish your prices the patient is entitled to know your price for every single thing. And so are all, especially if you are a public hospital, everybody knows what the price is. And if you get caught cutting discounts to insurance companies at the expense of cash paying patients, you go to federal prison for as long as we can make it happen. And everybody that touched it is going to be in there with you, scratching your balls because they got nothing else to do. These are parasites. They are profiting on pain and suffering of the American people. Start treating them like that. And since we can't actually treat them that way, start talking about them as what they are. So that's how we address the cost of medical care. We also have to address it from the standpoint of nutrition, which is a huge portion of it. But we'll get to that later. Is there more? Yes. I'm giving you macro level concepts of what could be done. Now, this can all be everything I've said up till now can be done. There is no reason we can't prevent drug companies from buying the media's narrative. If it can be done with big tobacco, it can be done with big pharma. There is no reason we cannot require people providing a service to, to tell people what the price of the service is. None. None. TN Permaculture thinks he just experienced the latest funk. I did. It was no fun. It wasn't worth shutting the country down for, though. I'll just say that. Um, Next, immigration. See, I'm trying to pick divisive issues today. There's two hard camps on this. There's one camp that's like, they're all refugees. Everybody's a refugee. Dude could have a time bomb attached to his ass, screaming Allah Akbar with a giant crusade sword running across the border, and there are people that would say what? Oh, he's just a refugee. We've got to let him in. And then the other side's like, it's all bad, right? Ref all immigration is bad. And then they try to pretend that they're for legal immigration, but they have no knowledge of what legal immigration looks like in the United States, how hard it is to immigrate. So what I'm going to say, the solution I'm about to give you for this problem requires secure borders. And the, the there's half of the country that will not have this discussion until we have secure borders. And if you're going to have a nation, if you're going to have something you call a nation, if you're going to tell the people that live inside the borders of that nation, you are subject to the laws of the land that you live in, then those borders have to be secure or you don't have a nation, which is the point. 
Because again, who are the parasites here? The giant corporations that hire the illegal immigrants at a reduced wage and use them as a modern day form of slave labor, uh, slave labor are the primary parasites here. Okay, they are. So that's who's behind it more than anybody else. And the politicians are simply on the payroll for it. So we have to have secure borders. That comes under national defense. So just assume for the rest of this point, the border is secure. Now, here's what the problem is. Go look at what it would take if you lived in any country in the world and you wanted to come to the United States and live here. And you could say, look. Here's my bank account. I have two years of living expenses in my pocket. Job, I don't want to take a job from anybody. I have a business. It's a small one-man business. I'm a podcaster. I live in the Netherlands, whatever. I want to move to the United States. I want to live here, and I want to legally reside in the borders of the United States. You want to come here and visit on a tourist visa? It's easy. You want to actually live here without having to leave so that you can like touch home base and come back? It's very difficult. It's very difficult. So we need to make it much easier for people to come live in this country. We need to make it in inherently easy for people to do it legally. When you make something inherently easy to do legally, people do it. Citizenship is a different matter. We're not even going to go there today. I'm just talking about living here. Okay. The next thing is one of the biggest problems we have right now, the whole anchor baby thing, is a very divisive thing. It's a very divisive thing. You might think I said we need to get rid of it. No, I think we need to modernize it. If you look at the amendments of the Constitution that said if you were born here, you were a citizen, it was almost impossible for your parents to have been considered illegally in the country at the time because it was very easy to come here. You pretty much came here. You were here. There was no real immigration um, system at the time. You could just come here. Now, later there was, but at the time of the amendment, there wasn't. I believe if there had been, and that there was a lot of people coming here illegally at the time, that they would have made a stipulation. If you are born to parents legally in the country, then you're a citizen. That's all that needs to be amended. I want a constitutional amendment that says that if I'm president. Don't say I'm going to get one, but that's what I'm going to push for. End birthright citizenship for people who are illegally in the country in the first place so we can end the debate and the argument that you're separating families. Well, every time they throw somebody in prison for $5 worth of crack under Joe Biden's bullshit from the 90s and 80s, we're separating a family. Don't give me that shit. Don't be situational with your crap. You're just being subject to the parasite's manipulation. So we end that. But if you're legally here, okay. What about the person who's legal under your easy? I don't care. I'm not worried about them. I'm not worried about them at all. Next thing, zero welfare of any kind for people who immigrate to the United States for an entire generation. And that includes when you pop a kid out, you don't get welfare and food stamps for the kid. No nation should bear a burden for people who choose to come to that nation at all, infinity. But we make it very easy. You're not a global terrorist. You have viable means of self-support. You want to live in the United States? Fill this paperwork out. Come on in. By the way, you're not getting shit. But I won't know where to live. Then don't come. You have to be able to demonstrate that you are going to be able to sustain yourself. And pretty much all you need for that is a guarantee that if you come here, 
and you can't sustain yourself, your only option is going to be to go home because we're not going to do it for you. If private charities want to step in or whatever, that's fine. That's fine. Then we can end all this bullshit with Trump and Abbott busting people in Martha's Vineyards and all, which, by the way, under the current situation, I have no problem with. They're saying these people are allowed in the country. Hey, you want to get on a bus? We'll give you a free ride somewhere. They want to get on it. That's freedom. That's not. I've heard people say that's uh, human trafficking. I guess you're getting pretty loose with that term then. It, technically, you're. You are providing trafficking for humans, but I've also heard it as kidnapping and other bullshit. That's nonsense. Those people are free to travel anywhere they want because we let them in under a broken system I'm trying to fix. But we make it very easy for people to come in, but we make requirements for citizenship far a higher higher bar. And again, I'm, I'm solving the 12 biggest problems we have today in a mental simulation. I don't have time to go into every aspect of it, but that's the basics of it. Make it very easy Secure borders that we'll get to. Um, next, the cost of housing. The cost of housing. Given that my solution is primarily to give power back to the states, I would first of all eliminate all federal bureaucracy. I would eliminate entire departments of federal government that interfere with housing. Because that's all they do is interfere. There's no way they help. So you're talking thousands of people fired on day one. Bring me an executive order terminating every agency I can terminate, fire everybody that can fire. And by the way, across the board, 10% cut in employees to the federal government on day one. In the transition period, you know, November to January when you get sworn in, I need every department head everywhere to make an employee review list and your bottom 10% are getting fired on January, whatever it is. And that's, see, that's a merit-based system, isn't it? That's something most people don't really like. But 10% of the federal government is gone from every department uniform across the board. That doesn't include the entire departments that are getting eliminated. But here's the thing with the cost of housing. While the federal government plays a role with all these federal building codes and shit that are redundant and unnecessary, the primary reason other than mortgage rates, because we've had this problem for years, even with low mortgage rates, it's kept driving the cost of housing up. The mortgage rates just made it worse, is at the state and specifically the county level. That's the problem. When you look at housing like anything else, it's a supply and demand situation. Where you look at the highest real estate cost, there's the least amount of housing inventory across time available for people to buy. There's less competition when it comes to the seller side. So buyers have to fight so they pay more. This is Eco 101, guys. This is Economics 101, right? The primary reason of that is the cost of new construction. Okay, so if you make the cost of new construction lower, you increase inventory and you push down housing prices, which would be its own pain point, but it's worth going through. So if you're a Karen that wants your house to be worth $200,000 next year more than it is this year, you're not going to like this. I don't really care. You're not the average person and you're not important to me. You're not. You're worried about you, you talk about property values. And what you're really saying is you want to make sure your grandchildren can never own a house. I don't give a shit about your problems. Your problems are your own making. You'll figure it out. Okay? There it is. Aaron's got it. Aaron's got it. Minimum square footage requirements means no starter homes. This is a number one problem. There is no federal law that I can see getting passed that would make that go away. But what I would be able to do is get on TV, and I mean, I would do this every day. This is your daily reminder. The reason you or your children cannot afford a home lies with your county commissioner, 
who has set minimum square footage requirements for new builds and other impediments to building new housing. If you want that to change, I suggest you call them on the phone today. And I would run that using the office of the presidency on a daily basis, every single day, every single day, every press conference. It would be, remember, um, for those that are 80s kids, right, when we had sick days and we stayed home, would we all watch because we had like three channels, Price is Right? And at the end of every episode of The Price is Right, Bob Barker came on and said, what? Spay and neuter your pets. That pets, that's what it would become. Minimum square footage housing requirements must die. And I would feature a different asshole behind it on a daily basis. Today's featured asshole is so-and-so county commissioner from the county of blah, 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 you, you know, state blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to tell you how bad this is. Just to my, this is Texas, just to my west is a county called Parker. We have immense building freedom in Texas. If you are not in a city proper, you don't even have to follow building codes, right? It's about as free as it gets. You want to build a house? You say, I want to build a house. And the state says, well, the one thing we are concerned with is where's your shit going to go? Meaning what comes out of your ass end, right? You need a septic solution. So you have somebody come out and they do a septic inspection and tell you what kind of septic solutions will work based on your soil's permeability and stuff like that. Or there is sewer that you can tie into or whatever it is. And they, you give them $500 and they go away and they never come back. Beautiful. Except. And I don't know how many other counties have done this. I know my county of Tarrant has as well. I don't know exact square footage. We looked at a piece of property out in Parker County. It was 13, 14 minutes from here. That'd be kind of cool to put a small house on and maybe do some things with, maybe even take a stab at like the permanent ethos thing or whatever. And so we asked if there were any restrictions from the selling agent. They said the standard thing I just gave you. And then they said, oh, there's one other one. Like it's an afterthought, because, you know, when you go do a buy a property, this kind of stuff has to be disclosed. Anyway, you might as well tell the buyer before you get into that. Um, If you want to build a house, it has a minimum square footage of twenty five hundred square feet. Now, why would you do that? Well, because you want to preserve property values and because you want to protect your tax base. In other words, you want to make housing more expensive on purpose. And this is the number one way that has been done. There are a litany of other rules and regulations and codes that could be stripped away and removed. that would make it easier to build housing. We need programs that would allow things like, you know, we have these, uh, what's his name, Mike Ayler out in the New Mexican desert doing everything he can to get as far away from size as possible to build earth chips. And, like, just a complete brutal attack. We need to create protection for people that want to build housing developments that are different from the norm. Basically, where they can carve out an area, hey, anybody building there knows what they're getting into, we're all informed adults, nobody gets to interfere. But the the number one issue is we have increased the cost of production of new inventory. That is, Don't let anybody tell you any different. And there's a goal behind it. The goal is to move as many people into pod-like apartments as possible where they're easier to manage and control because who is the enemy? The parasites. Who are the parasites? Who profits from this? Yes, the county commissioner and the tax offices and all that, but the people that really profit from this are the oligarchs that want to control society. 
That's another word we need to start using. We think of oligarchs as people in Russia. Russia has lots of oligarchs. So do we. The United States of America right now is a republic because an oligarchy is a type of republic. And that's what we are. We are an oligarchy. We are not a democracy and we are not a constitutional republic. We are in name, but we are not in practice. I'm just talking about restoring that. Moving on. How about environmental conservation? Global warming. Okay, you know what? Least priority we have is global warming. Let's look at all the other shit that's done to pollute the planet. And what can we do about that? What can we what can be done about all this environmental pollution? Well, to me, the number one pollution that the United States contributes to the world is massive amounts of nutrient and topsoil flowing into our oceans. So this would tie in with agricultural policy that requires the reduction in runoff through the use of USDA Code 600 agricultural terraces. And I would give a directive to NRCS to talk to every farmer everywhere about how they can participate in grants that already exist to stop their topsoil from running off. We create a dead zone, and it's about to happen right now, every summer in the Gulf of Mexico where the Mississippi dumps in that is larger than the state of Delaware. And Delaware is a much bigger state than you think it is. Anybody here ever drive all the way north through south through Delaware? It's a pretty big hunk of ocean to kill all life in every year. So that's a problem. Maybe we, And there are Hundreds of other things that are going on that pollute this planet. I would probably hire a guy who I do not want to be president, but I think would be excellent at this. Robert Kennedy Jr. I would probably put him in charge of oversight of pollution. And but you're not allowed to you're not even allowed to worry about CO2. You do everything else, everything else, all this toxin that's being put in our food supply. All these toxins being sprayed on top of people. Let's find it all and let's kill it because who's the enemy? The parasites. Who are the parasites in this world? The mining, the extraction, and the chemical companies. That doesn't mean I want to shut down mining, but we can do mining cleaner. And do we really need to be mining certain things? And where are the things we're mining coming from, by the way? Right? There's things we don't control. I don't control how Australia mines rare earth minerals that they sell to Tesla. But... Can we figure out how to acquire those minerals in a better way? Can we incentivize cleaner production of those minerals? I don't actually know the answer to that, but I think we should at least ask the question. Okay, we are living to a large degree still off coal in this country. And I don't care about the CO2 very much. I do care about the sulfur and the mercury that ends up in our groundwater. These are forever problems. The mercury is a forever problem. The sulfur is a temporary problem, but it's a human lifetime. Do you know what happens to sulfur when large amounts of sulfur end up in creeks and rivers? Oxidation. It's called sulfur oxide. If you've ever seen a creek where this has happened, everything turns orange, the color of rust, because it's kind of rust. And it makes a slime on the rocks. If you try to walk through this toxic water, you'll bust your ass slipping on the scum on these rocks, and it kills everything. How do we produce and use less coal in this country, nuclear energy. If you want to have a discussion about fixing our environmental problems as they relate to the actual pollution that comes from fossil fuels, 
and you don't want to include nuclear energy in the discussion, you are not worthy intellectually of having a conversation with because you don't want a solution. You're either too stupid and ignorant intentionally. You are intentionally ignorant to how safe modern nuclear power is, or you know how, how, how safe it is, and you don't want it because you don't want a solution because you're part of the parasite class. The parasite class. The parasite class is the giant energy companies who don't care how they make their money. They care that they make their energy. Can you imagine being an alien? I, I know they're not real, and if you think they are, you're falling for another psyop. But let's imagine you are some interdimensional alien species, and you can fold the fabric of space-time, and you can come to Earth from another galaxy, possibly. You can manage all that. Can't manage flying around in the Earth's atmosphere, and you're going to crash in Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah. They, and you turn blinking lights on so everybody can see you, right? Let's put that stupidity away. You are an interdimensional species. You come to Earth. And you look at Earth, and you see this big argument about pollution and fossil fuels, and you think to yourself, you know, these people are going to be much better off when they master fission and fusion. And your second officer comes to you and goes, hey, Captain, uh, they did that almost 100 years ago. What do you mean, like, what the fuck are these things? Like, we got to get out of here. That's why I don't think they're here, because, like, they just take one look at us and go, this is too immature a species to interact with. No, we're not going to fly around with lights blinking, right? Like we're a kite or a blimp. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous that anybody believes this. It's part of our educational problems that we already talked about. But we could provide all the energy we needed, especially if we would start building thorium plants. And by the way, you know who just announced they're going to start building thorium nuclear power plants? Yeah, that evil guy Putin in Russia. They're going to start building because they're actually doing something that this whole thing's about. I don't care about Putin as a person. I am not an advocate for Russia. The one thing I'll say that Russia seems to be doing right is a Russia first policy. Maybe I don't like the way they're doing it, but at least they're doing it. The United States has an America last policy on every level that there is. All the things that we do around the world that are bad for the world that do benefit us, they only benefit us as a byproduct. The parasites are the ones that benefit the most. Like, they have to keep their cattle a little bit happy so that we'll keep giving them blood and milk like we're Maasai cattle. Yeah, the parasites. But environmental conservation, nuclear, we fix the problems with runoff. We start doing better agriculture that we'll get to in a minute, okay? How about mm, our food supply? Let's go there now. So who are the parasites? in the fact that our food supply is making people sick and die. Who are the parasites? Well, the giant companies are. The giant food companies are. Now, let's think about what the giant food companies produce. And if you're going to be a giant, huge company, and you want to ship and market hundreds of billions of dollars in product a year, what do you need? You need shelf-stable product. You need product that you can put in a semi-truck and truck halfway across the country without refrigeration, stick in a warehouse for six months, and then stick on a shelf for six weeks. That's what you need. Why do you think most of your food is made of starches and sugars that are stabilized with chemicals? For that very reason right now. What I'd like you to do, 
to really understand this and, 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 and crack pot broccoli is saying avoid all the shit in the middle of the supermarket. I agree. That's what I was just about to say. The next time you go to the supermarket, eliminate everything that isn't meat and vegetables. Look how much square footage it takes up. And then think about it. Because the best diet you can eat is a diet of meat and vegetables. And we have all the scientific data to make that case that's necessary. The only reason that anyone believes otherwise is they've been lied to and educated to a falsehood. We can look at the results of people who take this approach. And I'm not just talking keto, paleo, primal. I'm telling you right now, the average American today, if they just tomorrow quit consuming poisons on purpose and lived on whole foods, vegetables, some fruits, and protein products, if that's all they did, they eliminated all or most of starches. So that's your, that's your big crops, right? Parasites. And it's not the farmer growing them. It's the conglomerate that makes sure the farmer barely gets by but does get by. We eliminate rice, wheat, corn, etc. And we don't do it by fiat. You're not allowed to grow it anymore, make it illegal. That never works. Prohibition's bad on all things. All things. What we do is we start to incentivize the production of grass-fed meat and pastured meats. We incentivize that and we disincentivize these massive subsidies that produce all of this junk food. One thing I think that we need to be honest about and we actually need to get rid of if it can be done is high fructose corn syrup. And the number one way you can do that is just remove the subsidies in it. You have to ask yourself in some situations, why is this even in food? Because the subsidies are such that sometimes these people actually get paid to put it in there. Here's an example. Go buy a a package of Johnsonville bratwursts. Johnsonville bratwursts. You will see on the label, high fructose corn syrup. Do you know that you can make a bratwurst with no sugar at all and it tastes just great? That I've, I've literally cloned the Johnsonville recipe as best that I can with no sugar. Not a fake sweetener. No sugar. Put it side by side. And if you take it out of the casing and all, so it just is like cooked meat and you let surgeon try both of it, they can't tell you a difference. So why would you put something inherently unnecessary into a product if you want to maximize your profit because it's so cheap or free, or you can actually make money by doing it on the back end, then why wouldn't you? It is the most disgusting thing we have done to our people is the production of this garbage. And if I I encourage you, I encourage you to go look at what it takes to take corn and make corn syrup in this form out of it. It is a ridiculous net energy loss. It is an unsustainable system from a financial standpoint without the government being involved. I would remove almost every subsidy from the current food system that there is. We don't need subsidies. We need a market. We need people growing food for the purpose of growing food. We need to educate people as to what healthy eating actually looks like. Okay, now how this ties back into some of these other things. The number one expense that we have in our healthcare system today is conditions that either are or are related to type 2 diabetes and obesity. You want to make healthcare affordable? Stop creating 300 pound people. Okay? 
Stop creating 300-pound people, and healthcare will be much more affordable overnight. We have more type 2 diabetics in the United States today than any other serious lifelong medical condition, and it's all curable. It's all curable. You can cure type 2 diabetes. Now, sometimes if you have it long enough and you abuse your body enough, nothing you can do at that. Like You literally have converted type 2 into type 1. You've destroyed your pancreas' ability to produce insulin. But in all but the most extreme conditions, type 2 diabetes is not even diabetes. It is insulin resistance created by a bad diet. That is what it is. So we can start inside the nutrition industry using accurate language and stop making up diseases because they allow us to sell more drugs. Now, do you think, do you think these pharmaceutical, back to the pharmaceutical companies, do you think they want a reduction in the number of type 2 diabetics? If you do, I want you to go look up a company. It's called DaVita, D-A-V-I-T-A, DaVita. And I want you to look at the fact that they currently have a partnership with the American Diabetes Association, that they jointly publish recipes for diabetics that include ingredients like, oh, add a cup of sugar to this. They routinely promote meals that have 50, 60 to 80 carbohydrates in a meal. And then you can get a dessert recipe to go on top of it. Okay? Sound bad? Wait. If you haven't heard this before, there's more. There is more. Davida is in one business. One business that they actually make money doing. You know what it is? Remote dialysis clinics. They promote these recipes through the American Diabetes Association, again, who are the parasites here, right? They promote them through the ADA as being good for your, wait for it, kidney health. Good for your kidney health. Do you think a company with over 2,500 dialysis clinics wants less kidney disease in America? This company would be out of business if people adopted a good eating habit tomorrow. We now have more dialysis clinics than we have subway restaurants, though the two are correlated, in my opinion. We have to address it from this standpoint. We have to fix nutrition to fix health. The number one driving factor in today's expense within the health market is bad diet. And this whole plant-based diet shit, this whole plant-based diet shit, Americans are on plant-based diets Right now, they get more calories from potato chips, french fries, and bread than they do from meat. It is a disingenuous thing to claim that America needs to move to a plant-based diet. We have a plant-based diet. Based. X-based diet means the majority of your calories comes from X. And I guarantee you, if you evaluate the average American diet today, it is already plant-based Right? You notice how they say plant-based? Plant-based. What they really mean is vegetarian and or vegan. But that doesn't float real well, so we got to change it for marketing to plant-based. But let's look at, again, do I only eat meat? No. No. Today, I ate, well, I ate eggs. <laughs> I ate some cheese. Did I eat any? Oh, I had chili peppers. Right? So that's not meat. Right? But I have a, I have a protein-based, meat-based diet. Right? Um, yesterday I actually ate two tortillas. The things I'm telling you not to eat, I eat them very rarely. I look at them like eating a piece of cake, 
But my, my grandkids spent the night because of a situation I won't get into, and it was just easy to make tacos, and so I ate two tortillas. Right? So that is, I'm definitely not on a plant-based diet, but I ate a plant-based product. So when they say plant-based diet, they're doing a typical thing where they just make up a thing that sounds and markets better. Like global warming, that's not working out really well. Climate change, that's not really working out. Climate weirding, like they just make shit up. And they keep saying it, the age of global warming is over. The age of global boiling has begun. And then like new, the news cockatoos come out, global boiling, global boiling, brah, brah, just, and people just swallow it. Got to start speaking the truth about who the parasites are. And you got to start speaking the truth about the solution. The solution to our food system is that the most, in, and this is back to environment, the most environmentally uh, regenerative thing we can grow for people to eat is meat. I know that's hard to believe if you've never heard this before, but what do cows eat? If we don't feed them corn and other grains, what does a cow eat? It eats grass. Okay. When cattle graze a area and they are rotated through that area properly so that they don't overgraze any one spot, what happens to the grasses and the forbs after they eat it? It grows back, dumbass. Okay. How deep are the roots of perennial native grasses? How deep are they? The answer is 18 feet or more deep. That if you want sequester carbon, savanna-based systems, whether true savannas or savanna mimic systems, sequester more carbon than anything other than mangroves. Okay, more than straight forest, because there's a a, a cycle happening in these systems. And so we can grow all the vegetables, all the fruits, and yes, all the grains that people want in systems like this that are far more regenerative, not just sustainable. And we can do it almost overnight. The full cost of fixing the problem is less than what these assholes spend on an ongoing basis in foreign aid. And I'm back to, I want this country to be America first. America first. That's MAGA. It's racist. Shut up. I don't have time for you. Block. Go out. I don't give a flying shit about Trump. I don't care. I'm not going to not use a term because you're going to associate it with somebody you don't like. But let me be clear when I say about us being America first. We should be America first. Japan should be Japan first. Mexico should be Mexico first. Great Britain, and they're not, should be Britain first. Germany should be Germany first. Every country should put the needs of their own citizens first. And anybody in government that tells you otherwise is a member of the parasitic class. And they are scum and they are parasites and they should be called out for what they are. We don't send people to Congress. We don't send people to the Senate. We don't elect presidents to take care of freaking Japan. No, they never campaign on that, do they? If you elect me, I'll make sure that people in Germany live better lives. They don't campaign on it because they know if they actually said it. Think about how stupid that sounds. Think about how dumb that sounds. I would like to be president of the United States. Well, Mr. Spirko, what's the number one reason that you'd like to be president of the United States? I think that my number one priority will be improving the lives of people in Central and South America. 
I mean, really. I mean, give it another 10 years of their bullshit, and it might even, they might even be able to sell that. That's how dumb our people have become. That's one of my other things I would do if I was president. I would tell the American people how stupid they are every day. And when they got mad, I'd say, if you're actually mad for the right reasons, you're probably not stupid anymore, so you can ignore it when I say it tomorrow, because I'm going to say it again tomorrow. All right. How about criminal justice reform? Okay, then my number one thing, now, again, I can't tell Texas what to do as president of the United States. I can incentivize it, I can call it out, but I can't tell the state what to do, lowercase s. But at a federal level, I would say I would have a research team. Again, between the day the election was over and the day I was sworn in, I want the name of every single person in federal custody who has a crime absent a victim that you can point to. A crime absent. So if they killed somebody, well, that's a victim. Well, they had drugs that they were going to sell. Did they sell drugs to somebody and lie about what they were and kill them? Because we can talk about that. No? Okay. Bring me. And I would pardon every single person in the federal system you cannot show me a victim for. And, yes, I know some of you want to hear this. So, yes, I would pardon Edward Snowden. I would pardon Assange. And I would pardon Ross Albright. But that's a different group of people. I'm talking about the average person. You don't even know their name. They don't have people doing GoFundMes or anything like that for them. And I would pardon all of them. And I would push to eliminate every law that creates a penalty for something if you can't show me who the victim is. And don't give me the victim is the people. That's a cop out. Who is the victim? The word victimless crime should not exist. It's, a, it's retarded. It's like saying gravitational weightlessness or something. It's just stupid. It doesn't make any sense. If you can't show me the victim, you can't show me a criminal. So I would come at criminal justice from that uh, straight away. And then there'd have to be a case-by-case review of a tremendous amount of the problems within the criminal justice system. But I also think one of the other things we could do is, is I would be for eliminating a lot of agencies right now. And one of them would be the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I want the FBI gone. The FBI has long since passed a mandate and its purpose. It's not necessary. It's redundant. All of these states have ways that they can investigate crimes and stuff like that. We don't need the FBI. The FBI has shown itself to be a force that is not worthy of having the power that it does. And this has very little to do with Trump's bullshit. It is, it is, but Trump is a good example of this. If there was equal justice under the law, I can't say whether or not Trump would be enduring any of these prosecutions. I don't, I haven't looked at it enough because I don't care that much. I don't. I know some of you are like orange man, you know, uh, champions or whatever. I, again, politician, parasite. Okay. Don't care about them, any of them. But the idea that you could prosecute Trump and not prosecute Biden and his son is ridiculous. It's the amount of evidence of felonious activity from the Bidens is insurmountable. It's ridiculous. The FBI and the DOJ have created a protective bubble around little Hunter and, and, and the big guy. And that alone is reason for disbanding. But I'm going to tell you, it's a lot of other things. It's the shit they have done with January 6th, and they have literally thrown grandmothers in jail because they were near D.C., and if anybody tells you it's a conspiracy theory, they are lying or stupid. You choose. I have a family member 
who is on a FBI task force who has verified for me the level of investigation that is going on to connect anybody at any level with January 6th. I actually have sources. That shit's gone on. FBI, gone. Unnecessary, not necessary, parasites. Now, I know I actually have fans in the FBI. You might not be happy with me today. You know what? You guys that are good at what you do, that are dedicated to actually helping people, you'll find another job. You'll find another job. We need law enforcement personnel all over the place. Stop taking all that money out and giving it to the FBI. Get rid of your bosses and your underlings that suck. Let them go somewhere else. And there's plenty of money that's still out there to hire you to do something to protect people if that's really what you're all about. But I would get rid of the FBI. I'd get rid of the FBI. Somebody would have to make a really great case to me not to at this point. That's what I would do. Um, but criminal justice reform is a big animal, but those are some basics. Um, economic opportunity. Well, first of all, everything I said today creates more economic opportunity than we have right now. Every single bit of it. But what this country needs to start doing is stop relying on imports for our most critical needs. Now, look, I'm all about free trade. I am for open markets. I really am. But what we learned during COVIDs about our dependence on foreign governments for base materials is abhorrent. The fact that we can't even produce many of our most critical antibiotics without imports from China is ridiculous. It is insane. The fact that we can't build a lot of our computer chips and things like that, and we're relying on China and other adversarial nations to build our most important processors, computer chips, etc., is ridiculous. If this country actually started building the shit we need again, that alone creates a cascade of economic opportunity. Because when you start to create and build things that matter, real things in your own country, it's not just the plant that gets built in town XYZ. It's okay, now we have a thousand people with good paying jobs in this town of 20,000 people. The entire town booms. The guy that opens a hamburger uh, location with you know 20 beers on taps and good burgers, like there's a place right across from Lockheed here in, in, in uh, here in uh, Fort Worth called Tommy's Burgers, and you know they get a lot of business, but you know what kept them alive during COVID was was Lockheed. They're right across the street from one of the entry points to the Lockheed facility. So I know that's government and defense, et cetera. But it's the point I'm making is when you have major production in an area, there's a whole satellite of economic activity that comes off of that. So that's a big part of it right there. The other thing, though, is getting the federal government out of the business of policing everything that everybody tries to do. So, again, I'm immediately starting with we're getting rid of the 10% of the lowest performing bureaucrats in the entire federal government. And I'm challenging every governor in every state to do the same. Every governor in every state to do the same. Yeah. But then we also have to look at, well, what are the impediments to people working? One of the things that we can do to improve economic activity is reduce tax burdens. Reduce tax burdens. 
So if, if we reduce taxes, we get a boom in economic activity. That's just the facts. Every time this country has significantly cut taxation, we've had an economic boom follow it. This is during the age of fiat money like we have now and during gold-backed currencies. Whenever we've cut taxation, we have had a boom. And if you look through history, every government that's ever significantly cut taxation has had a boom. There's something else that happens. No one ever wants to talk about it. When you cut taxes, traditionally and historically, government total tax receipts actually go up. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Well, if I tax heavier, then businesses are incentivized to figure out how to not pay the taxes. That often means moving a lot of their production offshore. That's one thing they do. But another thing they do is they reduce headcount and they create phantom expenses. They do everything they can to preserve their money, their wealth, their capital. Why do you I think Apple has something like $80 billion parked in China right now. Like Trump was trying to get them to repatriate it, but it ended up not happening. Do you think Apple wants $80 billion of their capital in China? And if they did repatriate it under Trump, I'm wrong, and I'm wrong, fine. But that was there. Do you know we have companies with, with billions in capital in foreign uh, nations all over the world? in places that that money is more at risk than it is here. But it's at risk if something goes wrong. We're here it's at risk from wealth deterioration through taxation. So we need the we should have the lowest corporate tax rate in the world. I think the corporate tax rate in the United States should be about 10%. Now, with the 10%, again, who are the parasites? The parasites are corporations that make 500 billion dollars and pay nothing in taxes. Through a billion loopholes that are so all that shit goes away. No more freaking bullshit. None. All of it goes away. You get to deduct legitimate expenses, then you have a profit, you pay 10% on what's left. Now, people say, well, that's a huge tax cut. We'll have less. No. If GE, for one instance, GE pays almost no taxes, one of the biggest corporations in the world, they pay almost no tax at all. To the federal government, if GE paid instead, you know, our corporate tax rate is in the 20s, depending on effective and, and different things. But if GE paid 10 percent on their actual profit, they pay far more and they can afford it. And then we can afford almost everything that we need in this country because we've, we've downsized the shit out of it. Now, haven't we? And we've reduced our individual expenses and we've reduced that the, the cost of housing. We have innovation going on. None of see none of this is hard. None of this is hard. Now, again, you can poke holes in it. You can find things that still won't be perfect. I never said they would be. I'm just saying all of this would be better. How about restoring our infrastructure? Restore. Who's the parasite? Who's the parasite when it comes to road construction, et cetera? I'm telling you, I've seen construction projects here in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, go on for decades. And you can't get a straight answer as to when you're done with this, what's it going to look like? Where's a master plan? Oh, it's filed with the city of Austin when we bid on it. Well, where can I see it? I've even, I, I tried to track one down. I was told that there was a potential uh, 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 security risk to showing the master plan of the final infrastructure that we're paying for. Isn't that special? 
Yeah, they'll, they'll know which dirt mound to blow up because I've seen some of this stuff 10, 15 years to finish a project that if it was in another country would have been done in six months. I've seen it constantly. So we need to address that. But a big thing we need to do is I'd get rid of Department of Transportation. We don't need them either. Let Texas worry about Texas's roads. Stop funneling money back and forth. Restore the Republicanism in government. Not the GOP, for those who missed the beginning, the re- nature of the republic. That Texas worries about Texas issues. See, here's what I think. The federal government of the United States should put America first. The government of Texas should put Texas first, America second, and everybody else third. And Florida should put Florida first, America second, and everybody else third. And Virginia should put the citizens of Virginia first, America second, and everybody else a distant third. Hawaii, same. Vermont, same. You get it? California, disagree with a lot, but do your shit for California. But stop expecting that we will help you do it. Really, really simple. Really, really simple. It's The other thing we need to do is we need to be honest about the places that our infrastructure really needs to be fixed and focus on fixing those first. During uh, the Obama bailouts and the stimulus program, they put out billions and billions and billions of dollars that were supposed to be for infrastructure. And they ended up, they put $9 million into making a tunnel for turtles in Florida. As though turtles know how to use a tunnel. Basically, it was a big culvert. I can show you another project. I'd have to look to find it, but from that time frame, where they built a guardrail that cost like a million dollars to put a guardrail in. And like the road ends are like a giant cul-de-sac. There's no houses. And the guardrail's there because eventually they're going to build a reservoir and they don't want somebody to drive off the end of the road into the reservoir. Millions of dollars to put a guardrail in at the end of a cul-de-sac that didn't need to be able to ever exist and they never built a reservoir. So we need to actually identify the places that are at risk and improve our ability to move people around safely. And I know that sounds like the most basic thing, but they're not doing it. They're not doing it. And if I was president, what I would do is every every place I found that it was being wasted, I would call it out right down to the project manager, right down to the contractor, right down to the county commissioner that's not overseeing the project that are supposed to be overseeing. Right down in Texas, it would actually be the railroad commissioner, by the way. I know that doesn't make any sense, but it would be. But I would... I want to know everywhere this is being done improperly, and I want to call up every single one that people need to know. If you live where this person is, you need to pick the phone up and call them and say, hey, fix this shit. Let's not, you know, blame. See, the thing is you can't find. You can't find the parties responsible right now. So I think the biggest thing we can do for infrastructure in this country is to make every single project where you know all the people who are making decisions with your money including the bad ones. But we collect billions every year in motor fuels taxes, and we have the shittiest roads in a lot of the world, honestly. Go to Germany and look at the highway system compared to ours. It's, a, it's an embarrassment. The money's there. It's being spent poorly. What about Social Security is heading for bankruptcy? That seems insurmountable. Well, 
like I said, I'm going to do an episode in the future about fixing the economic system and the monetary system, the monetary base system. And I, I can't really address this 100% without doing that, too. But if we're going to let's say we were let's say the fiat system was being run halfway decently. Let's say it was being run the way it was in the 80s. Right. How would you fix Social Security? I know just double the double the, um, the rate. Triple the rate, quadruple the rate, do a Reagan. Reagan, by the way, Ronald Reagan, for all the credit he gets being small government, best Republican president ever, presided over the largest tax increase in American history. That was saving Social Security. That that we've done that. We can't keep doing that. More taxes will not help. The 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 Social Security system as we know it today is largely a Ponzi scheme. When you pay Social Security, Remember Al Gore, if you're old enough, remember Al Gore, I'll put it in a lockbox. It was never going to go in a lockbox. It can't go in a lockbox because there is no money to pay your grandma's Social Security check without you paying into Social Security today. Your payment today pays Social Security pensions the next day. The day after they collect it, your money's going back out. In the beginning, we had something like 15 people working for every retired party, Okay. Today, we have something like 2.7 or 2.5 or it might be down to 2.4 people work to pay every person on Social Security. There's another thing with Social Security that we don't talk about. We always want to, whenever we talk about Social Security, we always try to make it, you know, the old people, they worked hard. It's not an entitlement. Actually, it is an entitlement. An entitlement is something that you're entitled to. So they've even ruined that word. Have you ever thought about that? We can't touch entitlements. And then the, the opposition is, it's not an entitlement. My grandma earned her Social Security. It's not an entitlement. Actually, you just said it is an entitlement. It's something that she's entitled to because of her past participation in the promise that was made. It's an entitlement. And it should be something she's entitled to. The people that are on Social Security right now, one way or another, by hook or by crook, we have got to make our commitment to them. We cannot abandon them. We have to look, and this has to be done mathematically, and we have to figure out where is the line that we say, anybody that's this age or older, we have to make our commitment. Then we have to say, there's probably this group in the middle, you're going to get some of what you were promised, and start planning for it now because you have enough time. And then under another age, you know, maybe you're going to get robbed for a little while still, but you're, here's your way to buy out of it. And the whole system has to be privatized. If you want to run the Social Security system in a way that makes actual sense, then every penny that you pay in should go into United States government bonds that are in your name, that you have access to, that you can transfer control of, that you can leave behind to your heirs. How hard is this to understand? Government bonds pay better than Social Security does. It's my money I paid in. Think about how this works. I am 65. I don't have a wife. I do have a kid. My wife, let's say my wife passed away before I'm 65. I have a kid. They're not a dependent. I've paid into Social Security my whole life. My employer has matched my payment my whole life. I've paid in hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm finally, woohoo! Social Security check, baby. Fill out the paperwork. They tell, they, they jerk me around. They finally start paying me. I get my first check. 
$2,400 a month. Next day, I'm on my way to my car in the parking lot of Piggly Wiggly. Some redneck, boom, runs me over, kills me. Kills me dead. Every penny that I paid in is gone. It's gone. I can't will it to my son who's now in his 40s that could use the money. You stole my money my whole life. And because I kicked off early, you got to keep all but one check. There is no justice in a system like that. None. None. So if the government wants to create a retirement program for people and mandate it, then that retirement program should have a tangible asset on the other end of it. And by the way, that tangible asset should be something that can be transferred or inherited. And, and what I'm really saying is we need to move America's Social Security system into something that looks a lot more like a 401k. It looks like a 401k. If you want to say, hey, you know, we can't have a whole bunch of people that never save for the retirement. We need to mandate retirement. I don't like it, but okay. Well, then let's do it in a way that makes sense. Let's do it in a way that makes sense. I should be able to at any time log into my account, see how much money I have. Not how much money you're promising to pay me in the future if I continue to earn X. How much have I paid in? How much money do I have? How much interest have I earned? This is a very, like, when we created Social Security, this kind of retirement didn't exist yet. Companies had pensions for employees. And this was to supplement those pensions. And when it was installed, what it became was an excuse for, for many employers to divest themselves of pensions and then later on introduce the concept of 401ks. People should be responsible largely for their own retirement. I just think that we have gotten to a point that we have gotten to a point where there are people who we have to take care of. They've paid into the system their whole life. It is an entitlement. So we have to figure out how to extricate ourselves. But it has to be done from a from a view of this was a grand mistake and it has to be eliminated. And the biggest challenge to that politically would be talking to the 81-year-old woman that would be told, well, if Jack Spierko becomes president, he's going to take away your Social Security. He's for getting rid of Social Security. And the last phrase is the truth. And the first part of the sentence is a lie. I'm not talking about taking away anybody's Social Security, but you hear it every year. You hear it every year. If they get elected, they're going to take your Social Security. It's a third rail. No one will even touch it. No. You want to fix it? If you want to fix it in the current system as it is, I'll tell you how they're eventually going to fix it. You won't like it. I'm not proposing it because I'm opposed to it. They're going to raise the cap significantly on what you pay Social Security on. Because uh, most people don't know this. You only pay Social Security tax up to a certain amount of earned income. And above that number, you stop paying it. So that's one thing they're going to do. They're going to increase the rate. So you're going to pay more per dollar earned. Okay. And they're going to increase the minimum age of retirement. Do you know why they're going to do that? Because it is the only way that you can. The only way that you can. And... um Builder of Castle says, get rid of mortgages and most retirement becomes simple. I agree with that, but here's the thing I think we should do. When a person who, now again, I can't do this as president, but this would be a great policy for any city or county or even state to implement. 
A person who has lived in their home for 15 years or longer, who has reached retirement age and is no longer working, pays no property tax. Let me say that again. A person who's lived in their property for, so once all three of these conditions are met, no matter when they're met, when they're all met, they don't pay property tax anymore. It actually wouldn't cost in, in tax receipts that much money, and it would give back because of the way economies actually work when we stop having exportation economies and we have economies that have less entropy in them. So what I mean is, let's say uh, I hit 65 and I don't move. I stay in my house. When I hit 65 and I don't move in this house, I will have been here uh, 25 years. If I cease working and I go to a something we would call retirement, I start drawing my Social Security, maybe I do part-time work, but I'm no longer working full-time, my property tax bill goes to zero. Odds are, if we did that, people's entire planning for retirement would shift. And this is how it would shift. Once I'm, and maybe it's 20 years, once I'm 15, 20 years out from my planned retirement, I don't want to move. I want to be into a home that I'm comfortable with for the rest of my life. If I want to maximize my retirement, okay, I want to work as hard as I can to pay that house off. So I want to be in this position where I am debt free or close to debt free. And my cost of housing becomes effectively zero in retirement. And any house that I've held for 15 years or longer, as long as we're still in the monetary system they're in, which, which I would change as well, but as long as we're in this monetary system, it's going to be super cheap to service what's left of the mortgage on it. You see how that works? Like if, 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 I, if somebody came here to my house and looked at what I had right now, and I told you what my mortgage payment was, and you were a 25-year-old trying to buy your first house, you would be pissed. You would be pissed. I have three acres a 2,500-square-foot house. I have two outbuildings. One is 1,500 square feet. One is 800 square feet. Metal-framed outbuildings, concrete floors, insulated. I paid 205 for my house. And my house payment is, I'll put it this way. My son has a posted stamp a lot, a 1,300-square-foot, three-bedroom house. I have five bedrooms. No outbuildings lives in a typical neighborhood, bought his house about seven years after I bought mine. That's how little things had changed. We didn't have all the crises in it. My house payment is actually not much more than his. Not much. It's a little bit more, but not much more. I'm paying. So this would work to advantage for people retiring even if they had fully paid their houses off. And here's the question. Do you care about our elderly or are you just using freaking Social Security is a pugil stick. If you actually care about our elderly and their retirement years, their golden years, then my plan is so much better than this Social Security plan. The only reason you would object to it is you're part of the parasite class where you've been trained to protect the parasites. Because what good does a Social Security check for $2,200 a month do me if I'm paying $10,000 a year in property taxes, which is what I can look forward to by the time I retire? Let me, let's put it a different way. If I don't have an expense in my housing at all, except my electric bill and my water bill, how much can I give up in Social Security and live off my own retirement? 
because most people don't have that. Most elderly people end up living in a smaller apartment or something like that. They trade off whatever they have, and they end up with an ongoing housing expense. We don't incentivize people to stay in their homes. And there's a lot more that we can do with this. There's a lot more that we can do with this. But I think that's enough. Just remember, the concept that a thing has to be perfect to be valid is a BS trap excuse that protects the parasites. We literally have a parasitic class with a an impenetrable dome. You know, they call um, the Patriot missile systems and stuff that we send to Israel the Iron Dome, right? So somebody sits rockets at them and knocks it down. The parasitic class in our country has spent a lot of time building themselves an Iron Dome where they can't be attacked. They built it from a logistical standpoint and a size standpoint, how big they are, right? But they've also built it through social engineering where when you talk the way I'm talking today, if, if somebody doesn't listen to you, they start shrieking stupid shit like, he's a right-wing extremist, ultra-manga white supremacist. Why? Because I have a better plan to help people into their retirement than the shitty one that we have that you think for some misguided reason we need to defend in the name of protecting old people? When I want to take absolutely nothing from old people that are already in the system. Nothing. Because it's too late. It's too late to fix the problem for them. It is not too late to fix the problem for the 35-year-old today that's sitting there in life looking at it and going, what kind of future do I actually have? What kind of future do I actually have? Because they've convinced the 35-year-old who shrieks about Social Security that the person on Social Security is what? A boomer that messed everything up. How fucked in the brain is the are the American people that that's a thing? Tell the average 20-something today, hey, we need to get rid of Social Security. Not for the old people that are on it already, but for everybody paying into it. We need to figure a way to end that. They'll, they won't hear what you said. I guarantee you nine out of ten of them will start shrieking about grandma needing her Social Security check, even though you just said she's going to have it. Okay? And then ask them, well, how is your life economically today? And they'll tell you all their problems. And you say, well, who's the major group, especially if they're from col- if they're a college kid? What, who's the, who are the people most responsible for your pain and suffering? The boomers, they've been in charge the whole time. They're the ones that did this. They took everything away from us. Well, let's go, Mike. What about the old lady you were just concerned about on Social Security? Isn't she a boomer? And I swear to God, some of these young people, and it's, I'm not picking on them. We have so fucked their brains. If they were a, like a, a robot, what you, an android, like in a sci-fi movie, and you actually made them and analyzed their two positions, they would have that does not compute does, and blow up. They would blow up. The problems we have are not your fellow American that's out there working. I want to talk a little bit like the, the, the defense of the boomer by Gen X here a little bit at the end. The problem we have today is they've actually convinced these people, let's say 35 and under, boomers did all this. But if you ask that person, well, how much say do you have in the way things are done today? They'll explain to you at length, and they'll actually be right about why they don't really have a say in the way things get done today. Okay. So do you think the boomer who's 70 35 years ago when he was your age, 
do you think he had any more say in what was done by his government than you do today? Do you really? Did his vote count for more? When, when boomers voted, did they get five votes for every vote they cast? When, 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 35 years ago, when the 70-year-old boomer today was working his ass off just like you are, if he picked up his phone and called his congressman, who might still be in office, by the way, did he listen to him any more than you did? He'll listen to you. No. Do we have plenty of people in government now that are in their 30s? Yes, both elected office and bureaucratic. Are they doing anything different? No. Because this is the this is the way you maintain control when you're a parasite. You're a tick sucking the life force out of a dog, but you convince the dog, the the white lab that you're sucking blood from. You and 400 other ticks are sucking blood out of this white lab. His real problem is the black lab over there. And on the black lab, there's a whole bunch of ticks sucking his blood. In fact, many of the ticks just go back and forth. You got this? And they convince the black lab, the white lab, well, he's the problem. So the parasites manipulate the hosts into fighting each other. This is where we live today. And this is why, let's just go back to my first thing, student loan crisis. Nothing can be done. We have to have the taxpayers pay off the debt of Timmy and Tammy. That's the only solution. And we know it's untenable and it's never going to happen. You notice they always propose a solution that's completely not doable. There isn't enough money to do this. If you do this, you'll only make the problem worse because you embolden the colleges to raise tuition even higher. No way. We can't possibly do this. Redneck gut farmer. Okay, let's make sure that people are not borrowing more money than their degree's worth. Let's cap it on an annual basis. They have to be passing to continue to get their loans. They don't get the money. We pay the bill on their behalf up to that amount. If they want to spend more, they have to go earn it. When they work, they pay it back automatically through deduction, and it's zero interest. That just happens. You just heard me, this redneck right here, say that. I just told you that. Not one bureaucrat, not one elected official, not anybody running for any office anywhere, not one college administrator, not one college professor, no one to my knowledge on the face of planet Earth has ever proposed that solution, which is simple, and I would argue that if it was fully explained, 70, 80% of people would be like, yeah. So you mean they pay all the money back? Yeah. They pay it back from their own paycheck. Yeah. I don't pay it. No. Oh. They pay no interest? Yeah, they pay no interest. What you do with all the outstanding debt, it all goes to zero interest. It locks in. And every payment they made counts against what they already made from the original loan value. Now, if it's a private loan, you're on your fucking own. You shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. You made a private contract. My mommy told me to ask your mommy for the money. I'm talking about federal loans here. And you know what you would do in that system? The private loan market would go to shit for education. Why the hell would you ever sign a contract for a loan at 6% when you can get a loan at 0%? Why would you do that? Only because you wanted a degree or this chick. I'm telling you, this is a real thing. I saw this on Twitter. She has a Ph.D. 
in digital feminist activism. That's who would take that. And you know what? If you get that loan, screw you. I don't care. I don't care how much you were marketed to by mommy and daddy and teacher that everybody has to go to college. If you get that worthless of a degree, don't you guys think that when somebody goes to borrow, let's say $40,000 or more, that there should be some evaluation as to what you're buying? When you buy a car and you go to the bank and go, I want $40,000 to buy a car, you know what they say? Two things. What's your income? Actually, three things. What's your income? What's your history of servicing debt? But really important, what car do you want to buy? If you want to buy a $25,000 car for $40,000, what does the bank say? Go screw yourself in the ass with a cheese grater because they're not giving you the money. So when you go to borrow money to go to school, don't you think there should be some evaluation? Okay, what do you want to get a degree in? I'm an undecided major. Okay, we'll give you half value until you figure out what you want to do. We're taking a bet on you here. You're going to end up working at Starbucks. It's going to take the American people 25 years to get their money back. I want to be an engineer. Do you have the grades to get an engineer? Get accepted? Oh, okay. You look like, okay, what does an engineer in this field pay? Okay, yeah, okay. You get the maximum amount. I want a degree in business management. Okay. Let's look at median salaries and figure out whether or not you can service this debt, whether or not you'll ever pay it back. I want a degree in gender studies. You can have $1,000 a year. Why? Because there's no jobs for this. That's why. There's no production at the end of it. If I came to you and said, I want a business loan, what would you ask me? What's your business? What's your track record in business? What's the production? You know, what are your KPIs? If I want to borrow money to buy a house, start a business, if I want to borrow money for anything except college, there's a reasonable question by the lender as to are you overpaying? Think about you buy a house. What is one thing every lender requires when you buy a house, right? Two things, uh, an inspection of the property, because they don't want you to buy a house that they think is worth $400,000 and they give you a $350,000 loan on it and it's about to fall on top of itself because the foundation is screwed and you didn't know it. But an appraisal. What are we loaning against? What is the underlying collateral? Okay, the house appraised at $400,000. This is your deposit. This is your, you know, this is the amount you're putting down on the house. That leaves a remaining loan value of this. We'll loan you the money because you appear to have the ability to repay, a track record of doing so, and there's enough collateral in the loan in the form of the property that if you default, we have a reasonable expectation to get our money back. How do we not do this? And we have young people, and I said 40,000, we have people that are borrowing 20, 30, 40,000 a year and taking six years to get through school. They come out with an advanced degree and they can't do anything. And their degree is in nothing. And their skill set is zero. I gave you a solution. I actually gave you, as far as I'm concerned, until somebody brings me a better one, the most elegant, simple, easy to understand, fair and just solution for everybody that there is to this problem. And if you want to be a welder, you get to do it. You want to be a helicopter pilot and the, the helicopter school says you're not an idiot, that they're willing to take you on. And you're not blind. You can see so you can fly a helicopter. Fine. No problem. We need helicopter pilots. 
You want to be a plumber and there's a, a trade school you can go to to get a really good job? No problem. No problem. But we have to evaluate what do people that pursue this career path earn and how long is it going to take you to pay the debt under the structure that we have set up for you? Simple. They've never said it. It's the important part. They've never said any of the things I told you today. With very few exceptions. Because parasites do not want the host to get rid of them. These people are parasites. Your government is a bloated, parasitic, giant cluster of ticks sucking away at the lifeblood of the American people. And their greatest achievement is convincing you that somebody that's a different color, a different sex, a different age, a different income level, and keep going from there is the problem. If you are a 45-year-old man that busts your ass and can barely afford an extra six-pack at the end of the week, and you've busted your ass your whole life, the 22-year-old that just got out of college you can't figure out how to pay their student loan debt on a stupid degree is not your problem. And if you're a 22-year-old kid with purple hair and a nose ring that can't figure out how to pay your debt, the guy that drives a pickup truck that works his ass off and works, you know, there's a cable TV tech like I used to do at one point in my life to make sure your TV comes on to the right channel, he's not your problem and he shouldn't pay your bill either. Who is the enemy? Who is the enemy? The enemy is the parasites. The parasites. And we have master parasites and slave parasites. Ooh, did I just defend your sensibilities? Some of you young people, I used the word slave. Slave parasites. Slave parasites are the majority of the people in government who don't even know that they're parasites. Little story here at the end. There's a meme. It's pretty old. Pretty cool, though. Makes a lot of sense. It's, it looks like it's in Pakistan or India or something. It's like a little one of those little pickups they have over there. I think it's a blue truck, if I remember right. And it's broke down. And there's a whole bunch of guys pushing it to get it off the road. And I'm sure because people have, believe it or not, people have a sense of humor all over the world, including in Pakistan, India. And I'm not sure that's where this is from. It just has that look to it. Well, there's a guy. He's in the truck standing in the bed. And he's pushing on the cab, which does absolutely nothing. And the caption is, a government employee paying their fair share of taxes. And I've had a lot of people that work for the government get really upset when I've talked about that meme with them. And I said, but is it wrong? Explain to me how it's wrong. Well, I work hard for my money. Didn't say you didn't. Where's your money come from? It comes from taxes. It goes back to taxes. See, I actually think the best way to do this would be have government employees pay no taxes. Just work the tax out into their income and pay them less so that we don't have to circulate the money around and create more loss and more entropy. If we're going to do that, you get paid by tax dollars. You pay the money back as tax. This doesn't make any sense. You're putting the, the water back in the pool you got the water out of. And they, you don't you don't understand. And I think, you know, most of the people in that situation, they're good people. They do work hard. They do believe in what they're doing, but they work in a system that disincentivizes them to actually excel in any real way. And if they do excel, they become larger parasites. So reduce the size of government, not by a little bit, by a lot. Create an equal playing field and let losers lose and winners win. And give people back the freedom of movement 
and actually make it matter. Take the weight of the thumb of the federal government off the scale. When you move from one state to another, the difference should be dramatic in how it impacts your life. You should be able to see it. If you can't, there's only two ways that works out. One, you've had that kind of freedom for so long, competition has equalized things where states know they can't afford to be stupid anymore. That's that's one way. Um, the other way is it's being equalized by the federal government, reducing federalism across our country. And that's what they've done. And whenever a state really starts to suffer, you know what its governor always does? Calls on the federal government to make it go away, to make it stop. The states, which should be asserting their autonomy, have become spoiled brats just like the population. You know what you do with spoiled brats? You tell them, there's your dinner, eat it or starve. That's my overall prescription to save America. Eat it or starve. Eat it or starve. With that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. Appreciate you guys being with me. This went like an hour and 55 minutes, so I am not going to do any kind of a closing segment today. I will just remind you guys, you can always help me out by doing your online shopping starting at tspaz.com, and I have a membership program that pays for itself. You can find that at survivalpodcast.com forward slash members or just click on the members tab. I'll catch you tomorrow. We're going to have a really cool episode tomorrow. Morgan Gold is going to be on, and we're going to be talking about – Um, the Duck Chronicles fan who quacked the code farming content creation and building a lifestyle business. So for those of you guys that don't know, long ago I did a series, a uh, multi-year series called the Duck Chronicles, where I talked about raising ducks. And Morgan has built a tremendously effective business uh, inspired by that. And we're going to be talking about all of that tomorrow so that we can start building solutions in our own lives. Because what I gave you today, all of it would work. All of it would make things better. And the parasite class has no interest in doing it. You have to start carving it out and doing it for yourself as you can. Catch you guys tomorrow with another episode. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? You should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.